sometimes the name of a brewery is so intriguing that when it's only a few minutes away from where you're staying on a family vacation, you just have to look into it. When you look them up online and see that they have fun, bright, and well-done brewery graphics and labels, you become even more invested in visiting them. The combination of these things brought me and my family out on a short drive to Fort Monroe, Virginia to see what the brewery was all about. I'm Andy Erickson, and on this episode of the Thirsty to Explore podcast, I'm talking with Russell Tinsley from Oozlefinch Beer and Blending about experimenting with beer flavors, the need to start a second beer brand, the significant history of Fort Monroe, and the meaning behind the brewery's name. I'm speaking with Russ Tinsley uh, from Oozlefinch. Uh, can you tell me a little about what a little bit about what you do for the brewery? Yeah, um, I am uh, the the owner and founder of the brewery, um, and uh, I have probably a, a fairly big investment team of partners that that work. But I'm majority owner and um, CEO of everything that happens here at Oozlefinch. So, and can you give me a little history about the brewery? Yeah, we. Um, uh, so we opened in 2016 uh, and kind of started out doing more uh, traditional style type beers. Um, uh, and I think that was more just a product of, of the brewer that we had. Um, and, uh, you know, as I started getting more into the scene and, and figuring out more of kind of where I wanted to stake my claim, we, uh, you know, we've, uh, uh, we hired another brewer who came in and kind of helped us to to do some of the things that we we're looking to do. And then we also um, eventually moved on to uh, uh, another person who helped build us up to kind of where, who we are today. And so uh, ultimately all that said, we kind of about year two put our stake in, uh, uh, in for sours and kind of focused completely on the sour game. Uh, now what that looked like then has changed drastically compared to what it looks like now. Uh, but we've never kind of really turned our back on on uh, sours and and what our goal was to do there. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say since twenty probably twenty seventeen on, we've really been pushing sours as much as we possibly can. It started as a uh, a barrel age program, um, and that was kind of where we went with uh, our sours. We were doing some you know, kettle sour stuff as well, um, but then quickly turned it to a live sour program. And I, as far as I know, there weren't many breweries at the time doing doing live sour, uh, anything outside of barrel age stuff. But we had live sour uh, Berliners and Ghosts that we were making, and then um, doing it quite successfully. And and uh, and then as we got closer into uh, kind of COVID and and um, started seeing some real growth in the brewery, we we uh, started dabbling in more of pastry sours and and what that uh might look like for us and and uh and that's kind of where everything kind of took off for us and so you know i would say we have a a great understanding in everything sour um but really have uh kind of uh made a name for ourselves in that pastry sour uh market so is that the the blending part of your your title there? Yeah, I mean, we're still very passionate about our barrel program. And the barrel program, we have probably 100, and, 100 to 120 barrels uh, sitting back here in the barrel room uh, behind my behind my desk here. And so um, it uh, that program um, is something we're very passionate about. We don't get as much time to, to really focus on it and do it as much as we used to. 
uh, because everything, you know, um, has kind of taken, taken off and become quite busy, but, uh, but the blending piece is really an ode to, to that barrel program and, and, uh, just the significance that it had in who we are and what we still really honestly, uh, enjoy to, to do. And, and, you know, some of the things about beer that we love the most. So. Um, so what's the name Oozle Finch that obviously is very attention getting, yeah. um, what's the, uh, What's the the reason behind the name, or I believe there's a legend that goes along with that? Yeah, yeah, Uzelfinch. So we're on a decommissioned army base, uh, Fort Monroe, um, just outside of Hampton, Virginia, um, and it's kind of in. It's almost an island by itself. It is. It is considered, I guess, more of a. Uh, I don't know if it's considered a peninsula or what, but it, it's got a uh, a small track of land that connects to Hampton, uh, but it's probably 15 meters wide, if if that, where it connects. So. Uh, it kind of is its own island off by itself, and uh, um, it was an army base for, you know, a couple hundred years, and then it recently was transferred to the Commonwealth of Virginia um, and the Park Service, National Park Service, and so it's a mix between state park and national park now, And um, uh, but going back to the history of, of the name, um, Back in 1905, uh, there were officers that had kind of created this uh, secret society here on the base called Order of the Usual Finch, um, and they were committed to gambling, drinking, and roasting each other. Um, they had this story of this bird that had no eyelids and flew backwards at mock speeds, and, um, you know, it was uh, all kinds of different stuff about this bird that they, they uh, you know, talked about and was important to them, and so... Uh, we through doing our research um figured out what the usual finch was uh, figured out kind of what it stood for um and uh, how important it was to people here in the local community back in the early 1900s and even up through the mid 1900s but then when the army artillery school moved from this base to texas and then from texas to california um it uh the Uzel Finch kind of lives on um as a mascot for the army artillery but it doesn't have the same significance that it had a uh, hundred years ago. And so, um, you know, our goal was all that started here. Um, and it was very important to the people that were here uh, to the point that, I mean, they had a coat of arms, they had, you know, it, it was kind of like a secret. It really was a secret society, a secret fraternity that they kind of created for themselves. And so, uh, so we've been trying to keep that going as much as we could. And, you know, uh, the, the gambling, drinking, roasting each other, that, that fits. And, uh, and, you know, their crest and coat of arms, uh, the Latin inscription on it stands for what the hell do we care, which we felt kind of fit really well for where we were kind of putting our, our name um, in the sour game. And so, uh, you know, at the time when we started doing sours, there weren't many people doing them and there weren't many people doing them well. And so uh, it was considered a crazy thing, not only to do sours, but just to, you know, do a live sour program where, you know, you had bacteria uh, that we, you know, cultured and kept going here on premise all the time and uh you know uh, it's just one of those things that brewers uh it makes them cringe and so for us to be able to do that successfully for so many years um and uh and do it well i think uh it it fit and so we're, we're trying to keep as much of those traditions and things alive as we can and uh but it's more just like a, an ode to to what folks had done here in the past and 
um, and something that was important to people that were part of this community a hundred years ago. So also with the, the Uzel Finch, I guess you'd call it brand, you have the, the Nost brewing project. Yes. Um, I, I've been out to your guys's brewery and I, I couldn't necessarily figure out what was going on with that, but can you let me know? Yeah. So we, I mean, just like, uh, any folks in the brewing game, we all started out drinking, um, things that are so opposite of, of what is popular today. And, and that's a lot of the stuff that we still want to drink daily, uh, for us. And so, uh, the thing is, is I think we, we kind of made our name, um, so well known in, in the community that we're in with the sours and the, and the pastries that, um, it was hard for us as a company to release, something that was more straightforward and traditional. And so, mm. you know, we, we made a couple lagers and we, we tried to like jokingly call it real beer because people would come in here and ask us if we make real, real beer. And so we named a series real beer and that was mm. our traditional, traditional, uh, series that we were doing. And so, um, it, uh, but it just didn't work out. I mean, people, people that bought Oozle Finch wanted, um, they wanted something that was sweet. They wanted the pastry sours and, uh, and that was it. And so for us to still have a passion for the beers that we fell in love with when we got into beer, um, it, it, you know, it just sucked to, to, you know, try and, uh, make something that we cared about that we were passionate about and then watch it kind of flounder a little bit. Um, and it wasn't for the lack of it being, a um, a bad beer or a good beer it was it wasn't a bad beer at all um but it just uh was the expectation that folks had and and uh and it didn't work out real well so we um you know i kind of had an idea to start a new brand and and uh, center it around um beers that really are nostalgic to us and uh, which is the nos is the root word for nostalgia and it's kind of that feeling that you get when you you're away from home for a very long time and then you you kind of step through uh you know that threshold of of your doorway and that feeling that you get when you're home is what nost actually stands for and so uh so that's why we named it nost and we're you know for us it's it's all the traditional styles that we drink that we love that we fell in love with in the first place and so uh all of our traditional stuff and and things that uh uh are more done to bjcp guidelines are all put through nos brewing project um and then oozle finch has all the crazy experimentals hazies and you know more more new newer type uh uh mm-hmm. fads i guess and some fads some not but um so yeah nos nos for us is just an outlet to be able to do some more things that we really loved um it has been for us more of a virginia brand and and we really are trying to just uh uh you know send more of it here to just the state of Virginia. Um, and then everything else we focus, uh, outside the state, we focus more on these folks. So, but that's how that came about. And, uh, and really, honestly, it's, uh, it's worked out insanely well for us. And, um, it's, uh, I think more so in the tap room than anything else, because now we have an abundance of really great traditional beers. And then we have an abundance of, uh, you know, the, the more newer, newer fad type beers so so you were kind of you're talking a lot about your uh flagship styles i guess you would say your sours and your pastries um you want to elaborate a little bit more on that so people can kind of i when i stopped in there you had some pretty 
uh, I wouldn't say wild, but, you know, some inventive and new, like you said, experimental things. Um, go ahead and let us know a little bit about some of that. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, we've, uh, as far as our experimental stuff goes, we, we don't normally redo too many beers, uh, often. So, you know, um, the, as far as our pastry sours go, we're always searching for, uh, you know, that next, uh, mix of fruits or, uh, spices that will kind of make things, uh, um, just pop or will help bring back you know, a sense of nostalgia as well, um, as far as flavors go. And, and so, you know, we've over the last seven years that we've been open, we've done, I think well over 800 different beers. Um, so it's kind of really hard to kind of say this is exactly what we do because everything changes so much as on the usual finish side of things. Um, mm -hmm. we, uh, but as far as the sours go, I mean, um, it's heavily fruit forward, very expensive, to make liquid um and our goal there is to just uh achieve um a flavor profile uh that is unique and that is something that you don't really get uh anywhere else and so um for me it's all about doing something that's different and and unique that uh that folks will appreciate um and then sometimes doing things that are reminiscent of flavors that will remind you of uh, better times, you know? Um, and so we've, uh, you know, uh, we just did a, a, uh, a beer for my 40th birthday, uh, back in June. And I, I'm a quadruplet. There's, uh, four of us that were born at the same time. And so oh, wow. we, uh, um, my three siblings and I got together, we, you know, put a beer together, everybody picked their own fruit and, uh, and we, um, you know, we, we made this beer and surprisingly to me, uh, it was random fruits that everybody picked. I, I picked last, so I could kind of get something that I felt like would, uh, really go well with the other ones that they did, but it kind of came out reminding me of this, uh, bubble gum that I used to chew when I was a kid. It was like the, the one that had the, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like the one that had the giraffe on it. Uh, it almost uh, looked like fruit? a not the juicy fruit no it, it uh it was more of like a oh, fruit uh, a fruit stripe yeah stripe yeah fruit stripe yeah yeah yeah. but it was crazy because when we tasted it i was just like man it it took me back years and it wasn't something <laughs> that was done on purpose but uh but those types of experiences man is really what what kind of gets us um when it comes to that fruit and sour stuff and and that side of the game is just uh being able to see reactions like that and uh and kind of you know, take to be able to take people back to a place of nostalgia is just uh, uh, it's a cool thing to to be able to nail that. So um, I think that's a big goal for us. Uh, not only, I mean, honestly, I'm talking about free beers, but on the NOS side too. You know, the beers we make on NOS on the NOS side of things are 100% meant to uh, uh, be reflective of what we were all drinking. You know, when we were 21. So um which was mostly regular beers <laughs> so along with that what is the uh, the oddest beer that you guys came up with that actually worked really well that maybe oh, surprised gosh. you yeah my my favorite beer hands down to this day is um uh, we did it i think at the beginning of covid uh somewhere around there but and it was honestly the first heavily fruited like kind of slushy sour beer that we had done but it was um all centered around uh 
I was reading my, <clears throat> excuse me, I was reading my, uh, my son, the very hungry caterpillar book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, all these fruits and these proportions, I wonder if that would work in a beer. Um, and we had talked about it for, you know, I had talked about it for quite a while, but then finally I convinced the team like, Hey, let's, let's try this and see what happens. So we, we made a big to do out of it and, uh, made this beer called the very thirsty caterpillar. And, uh, it literally, we, all, all the odd, uh, you know, all the all odd foods that were in there, we, we mm-hmm. put in the mash like itty bitty pieces. So like, yeah, you know, there was, uh, I think a piece of sausage or whatever, but I mean, it, and at the end of the day, it, it was just all for, uh, you know, to be gimmicky with it, but yeah. it, it didn't really add any, any flavor or substance to the, to the brew, but with the fruit, uh, we took the fruit in the same proportions that the caterpillar ate them, um, and added those fruits to the, uh, the finished product. And man, it was one of the best beers. I mean, still to this day, it's one of my favorite beers I think I've ever had. Um, especially when it comes to fruit, you know, fruit and sour stuff. And, um, unfortunately we got a cease and desist on that one, so we can't make it anymore, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun story, man. And it honestly, it was the oddest thing I think we've ever done. Um, and, but it turned out absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, uh, was just a, an amazing beer. Um, but that, that one's probably one of my, one of my proudest moments as far as the odd beers go. Um, and on the opposite side of the coin, what was something you had real hype, high hopes for, but might've <laughs> not turned out well. Oh gosh, there's a lot more of those, I think, than the, <laughs> than the other. Um, you know, doing stuff like this is, uh, you've always got to kind of got to be ready to to dump if uh, if something doesn't turn out right, um, or obviously you risk, uh, you know, hurting hurting the brewery more than uh, more than anything else. But we've had, I think, we've had quite a few over the years that haven't worked out. Um, there was one. Golly, I'm trying to think uh, what I mean, there was one that was really, really, really good. But the whole point of it was to be green. And we used blue spirulina and I spent more money than I want to say on this blue spirulina and we could not get it to stay in solution. And so um, at the end of the day, I mean, the cans, uh, it was green. If you shook the can beforehand, it would be green. But if you let it sit long enough, that spirulina would fall right out. Um, and I mean, it was a delicious beer and we sold the credit out of it. It was, it was great. Uh, but, um, I mean, I, I would say we've had a couple misses with strawberries, uh, and, but that's just a fruit provider thing. There's certain providers you get your fruit from, from, and it will leave metallic flavors, uh, in, mm. in the beers. So we've learned the hard way on who, who to get strawberry from and who not to get strawberry from. Um, so there's major misses there when it comes to the fruit providers so if you don't know them and trust them and have a good track track record you know it's risky to spend three thousand dollars on fruit for a beer and then uh, get it all in just to find out that they treated it with something that reacts weird in the beer um but uh we've had that situation i would say as far as uh combinations that we've done we had an idea to do like uh this was years ago i mean probably year two or three open we did this beer that was uh supposed to remind you of like christmas at your grandma's or whatever um Mm -hmm. and i don't even remember what we called this thing but it uh it was all these like kind of flavors that you would consider older uh like an older generation generational christmas kind of thing 
and it sounded great in our heads. And then we made the beer and it was, uh, it was not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we had a, we had a big miss with that one. Uh, and then, you know, there's a couple coffee beers that I haven't been fans of here either. Uh, other people have loved them, but I'm just, I don't know what it is about coffee. Uh, but I, unless it's in, you know, a dark roasty beer, uh, uh, it's hard for me to get behind it, but yeah, yeah. I think, uh, that, that's probably, uh, a lot more than what you were looking for. On no, that. no, no, that was perfect. Um, so when it comes to the brewery itself, uh, you, you guys bring in music or entertainment, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we used to do a lot more music and entertainment than uh, what we currently do. I think we very much started out as a community-focused tap room, uh, and then COVID forced us, obviously, to switch, and and that ran us into uh, distribution. Um, and so now it's like the grind of distribution and and that kind of being our, our focus for really just uh, making, you know, the business profitable. Um mm-hmm and uh and a lot less um toward the community center tap room and and i think for me it's not that that's not important to us anymore it's just we kind of got so caught up and busy and and everything else going on that i think that's taking a back seat and so uh one of our goals in this coming year is to kind of refocus that and really uh start putting a lot more effort and time back into the tap room into the community into um uh, you know, bringing out music and events here that will, um, that'll just be, you know, uh, not just a random one or two person coming out and playing on Friday nights, but, uh, really looking at doing a lot more as, as a music venue and, and bringing, you know, a mass amount of people from the community and to, to enjoy stuff like that. And so I think, uh, you know, we started as like duos and and, uh, single artists coming in and every Friday, Saturday, and we did that until last year. And then uh, last year, we've kind of stepped up to where we were bringing in uh, the bands we bring in are more local known, um, uh, bigger bands that that draw some crowds. And I think uh, next year is to kind of bring that full circle and and do a little bit of local uh bands that bring in some strong crowds but also some national acts that can come in and bring a lot of people to the tap room and and that's a plan that that we're getting ready to kick off and that we hopefully will have going by next summer so by next summer hopefully you know uh as folks see this we'll we'll start having stuff pop up that'll be ready uh for when the weather weather comes back around so definitely i just started a way for everyone to help the podcast If you enjoy Thirsty to Explore, please go to our page on coffee.com and there you can buy me a drink. By doing so, you can help us get to visit new breweries and make new friends who we might feature on a future episode of the podcast. Visit ko-fi.com slash thirsty to explore or thirsty to explore.com and look for the buy us a drink button. Um, and to go along with that, you guys get food trucks in or provide food in any way? Yeah, we have food trucks every single day except for Monday. Um, and uh, Mondays, we, we don't have any food out here. Uh, we have a couple of delivery places that are close by that folks can grab stuff from. But uh, uh, we do have trucks uh, Tuesday through Sunday. And, um, you know, it's a different truck every every day. Um and I think we probably have about 25 to 30 trucks that we rotate through throughout the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we've uh, really narrowed down that list of, of folks and, you know, who brings out people and uh, who's 
you know, good to our staff and who, uh, mm-hmm. who's, uh, you know, doing good things, um, in that community. And so, uh, but yeah, something's always available here, um, Tuesday through Sunday. And, uh, you guys, I, I was reading on through your website, you have a charity roundup kind of thing, uh, yeah. that you, people can round up the, the, the bill or such. Um, mm-hmm. and what, what kind of charities do you guys support through that? Uh, honestly, it's always stuff that's connected to us somehow. Um, you know, my son, uh, plays little league here locally and I sit on the board there for that, the local league. And, um, so we're talking about sponsoring the little league here coming up and doing, doing a roundup for them so that we can bring, bring some cash in for them. Um, we also have done it in the past. Um, I'm a, I'm a hunter, so I love ducks unlimited. So we've done some stuff for ducks unlimited. Um, we also have done some stuff for a, uh, um, an organization that, uh, takes inner city youth kids and teaches them how to play golf. So we've done some stuff with them. Uh, there's another organization that we work very closely with that does, um, uh, works with sexual assault survivors and, uh, we've done stuff with them and, uh, um, I'm trying to think who else, uh. I think in the future we've got some plans. I I I make knives in my spare time um, and do some blacksmithing stuff. And so there's a school that's really helped me out a lot. And I think it's just I mean they're doing some amazing things up in Maine. And so we're talking to them about next summer giving giving them a slot as well. And so um, I mean basically everything uh, centers around stuff that's you know important to us here uh the staff here but also some of our regulars um and uh and so if it's uh, a cause that we can really get behind and that we believe in uh we'll we'll support them um and you know that's something we just started doing in the last year we haven't done it for that long um but it's been it's been awesome i mean people people are generous i mean even in the off months where it's slow we're still usually able to cut a check for you know a thousand dollars to so with some organizations, which is great. Um, and then mm-hmm. in the summertime, you know, there's some folks have, you know, been able to do quite a bit more than that. So, uh, but it's, uh, it's cool to see people uh, willing to do it. It's cool to be able to like help out some of these organizations that we have connections with. And, uh, um, and uh, also some of the community members that come in here and support us a lot too, that are involved in these organizations. Um, it's cool to be able to help them out. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's something we're going to, we're definitely going to keep doing and uh, you'll probably see it, you know, for the distant future, it'll, it'll, it'll probably still be there. So. Yeah. And, and personally, uh, one of the, so your name kind of caught my attention. Then I started checking out your uh, website and your social feeds and your, your graphic design stuff really caught my eye. Um, I, I think it's really cool. It's very consistent. You know, it's really uh, attention getting, uh, who handles that for you? Is that someone on staff or? Yeah, we, so uh, we have a designer on staff. His name's Eric. Um, but he also does, uh, a lot of, um, contract work for other folks. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think he, he works, uh, it's kind of funny cause he's, if you saw the styles that he does for all these other, other people that he does stuff, uh, for, um, you wouldn't think it's the same person sometimes, but, uh, but it, it is, he's got so many different styles and he's just so good at what seems like everything. <laughs> um, yeah. he, uh, he kills it, but his, uh, his page, I think on Instagram is, is he's got a mustache. And so he goes by stash Squatch instead of Sasquatch is stash Squatch <laughs> designs. 
So, uh, yeah, I think we tag him in quite a bit of stuff, but if you look up stash squash designs, that's, that's him. And I would say that his overall feel for his artwork definitely comes out more in what he does for us than what he does for some other folks. But, uh, he's just a very, very talented guy that, um, we, we lucked out, man, and locked him down before somebody else did. And he's, <laughs> he absolutely kills it. So. Yeah. Um, and you guys, uh, I, I'm a on and off again runner and you guys got a run club. Yeah, we do. Um, it's, uh, it's called tail chasers. <laughs> and so it, uh, um, it was something that was done a lot more here, uh, you know, prior to COVID. Um, and, and they, I mean, they're still doing it weekly. There are a few people that still come out, um, we uh we had a staff member back then that was kind of running the whole thing and now the the regulars that come in and do it have uh, kind of taken it over and and uh and run uh kind of run the event them or run that whole club themselves um but uh it's definitely something that as we grow uh our management team and we have different folks that we can place in uh in positions that we can grow some things that's that's uh one of the one of the things that we need to show some love to and and really try and grow a little bit more, I think uh, it was at one point fairly big. And then um, right now, I think you, you have your really hardcore uh, um, tail chasers that come out and run weekly. And uh, mm-hmm. um, but it's not something that is really uh, brewery ran anymore. They uh, um, we had a staff member that got a job somewhere else and left and, and that person was running it. And so uh, it, it's kind of cool to see that it has continued on and that folks are still doing it, but it's not something that we really push anymore. Um, uh, But it is again, you know, as we start trying to uh, refocus back on community things that we were doing prior to COVID um, it is something that I think we're, we definitely need to show some love to. So. Yeah. Another aspect of what I I'm hoping to do with this, this podcast is, you know, I promote people to my travel to hit up the breweries because I believe in when you sit down with people and have a drink or have some food, you kind of get a real flavor of the uh, community. Right. Um, that's why I asked about the run club, you know, because sometimes that is a community driven thing. And you were talking about that Fort Monroe is a decommissioned military uh, base. Can you tell us a little bit more about Fort Monroe and how, you know, does that does it being uh, an ex-military area does that kind of uh, form the community or is that not a part of it anymore um i mean it does uh i think the military still has a very strong presence here on the fort and there's a lot of events and stuff i think that center around that um but i think there's a lot of history about the fort that folks don't know and so you know uh when you get close to this area everybody knows about the triangle the historical triangle which is like Mm -hmm you know, Yorktown, Jamestown and Williamsburg. And so that like whole area is something that's people travel and they're, they, uh, you know, spend a lot of time uh, seeing sites over there. But I think uh, the piece that is missed when you're out here is Fort Monroe um, because there's such a significant amount of history that uh, is a part of this base and nobody really understands or knows it. And I think the reason for that is because it's been an active military installation for so long. Um, but now that it's national park and state park, I think, uh, there, there's a lot of work being done to, uh, educate people as to, you know, the significance of what the base was, but 
it really is an amazing place. And, uh, you know, um, for instance, uh, after the Civil War was over, Jefferson Davis was imprisoned inside the walls of the fort uh, for two years, um, two or three years, I think, was imprisoned there. You know, uh, Robert E. Lee was one of the architects that helped build the fort. Um, the uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln has a house that he commanded one of the battles during the Civil War from inside the house or inside the house, inside the fort. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, just a lot of historical significance here. Uh, the biggest thing being that there was uh, a decision made uh, during the Civil War called the contraband decision, which kind of uh, pushed the way for the Emancipation Proclamation and, and you know, the freedom of, of all slaves in the United States. And that started here on the base uh, on Fort Monroe, which, you know, we're a small one and a half mile stretch of land. And, um, and so, but there were, you know, three freed slaves or not freed. They were, they it had escaped from uh, a, uh, you know, I forget which base it was across the water, but it was a Confederate base. And, um, built a raft and floated over and got here. And the South basically said, you know, you have to give us our property back. And, and the general at the time here uh, told them that, uh, that these uh, escaped slaves were contraband of war and they weren't going to be returned. And that, you know, the South had, had uh, succeeded from the union and, and that they weren't going to be returned. And so, um, and so that basically took the end of the Underground Railroad from the north uh, to this base. And by the end of the Civil War, there were over 10,000 freed slaves here that were living mm -hmm. as contraband of war. And uh, the base itself was nicknamed Freedom Fortress. Um, and it was just, you know, Harriet Tubman was a nurse here in the in the hospital camp for the freed slaves. And uh, just a lot of, uh, a lot of history. Um, and then one of the coolest things that, uh, I think to tie all that together is that, you know, hundreds of years earlier when, when, uh, when Africans were first brought against their will as slaves to, uh, to the United States, um, the very first African, uh, to, unwillingly step on U.S. soil as a slave was here on Fort Monroe Beach uh, on the mm -hmm. same small stretch of land. So, you know, something that started so horrifically um, uh, on this at this place, this really small island, um, it was something horrific that uh, that kind of began here. And then fast forward a couple hundred years later, there were three you know, escaped slaves that ended up here, which started the contraband decision, which started the move to the Emancipation Proclamation. And so um, it's just uh, in in my mind, I think it's I mean, every time I think about it or talk about it, it gives me chills because the odds mm -hmm. that those two things would happen on this one and a half mile stretch of land out of this entire out of our entire East Coast uh, is uh, is just kind of miraculous and so mm -hmm. um it's but all that history is here man there's so much here that is uh just cool to be a part of and and to be able to walk walk around and see uh the old fort walls um you know we're one of the only places in the, on the east coast here that has a 360 degree moat um you know there's three entrances to the to the fort and um uh, you know you you can go in there you can walk around the top of the moat there's water that goes all the way around um 
and uh, it's just a just a really really neat place that's been here for hundreds of years, and uh, I think a lot of folks uh, don't even know that it's here. <laughs> so to yeah. you know to be able to like have a piece of of history and and exist in a place like that is has been awesome. Uh, we just I'm I'm a big history history person, <laughs> so this for me it's it uh, it makes me geek out as much as beer does. <laughs> Yeah. So when uh, someone comes to visit Fort Morgan, is there a uh, uh, a place they can go to to get all this history, or is there you know, like any kind of visitor center or such, such like that? Yeah, they actually just built a visitor center in the last year. I think uh, it opened up, but all that history is in there. They've got walking tours. They've got there's a museum um, down the road as well, and so there is a museum that has a lot of the history and stuff in there, but the, the new visitor center has uh, every bit as much of stuff uh, and, you know, digital walking tours that you can take. Uh, um, but yeah, there's uh, a brand new, I think they, I mean, Lord knows, I don't even know how much they paid for it, but it had to in the millions like visitor center that they just built here, which is uh, absolutely, it's beautiful inside and it's got a ton of the history um, you know, especially when it comes to uh, African and African-American history as far as it, or as it ties to, to the fort, um, you know, the museum, I think, uh, has really caught up a lot on that history recently. Uh, but to be able to tell those stories, it, they weren't stories that were really being told um, until recent years. And so to to be able to come out here and see all that, I, it, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, and it's uh, um something that i think uh is is absolutely uh just an amazing thing to to be able to witness and and sit there and just take in all this all this history that a lot of folks honestly they don't know so sure um and uh what what else is there maybe to do in the area if someone's coming through fort morgan uh so we have there's a uh there's a beach down the road so we have our own beaches here on fort monroe we have uh um, we have a lot of eateries and stuff out here. There's a small town of Phoebus, which is right down the road. Um, that is packed full of restaurants, uh, and, uh, and kind of small community vibe type, type places. Um, there's a campground down the road here on the fort, uh, which, um, they allow tents and RVs. Um, there's a marina. So if you got a boat, uh, there's a marina on the fort. Um, and, uh, I would say as far as the fort itself, that's it. Uh, but when you get closer, I mean, we're so close to Norfolk. We're so close to Hampton. We're so close to Virginia Beach. Hampton has the Coliseum, which they do a lot of music shows out of. Uh, and that's probably five minutes down the road. Um, so you have the Coliseum, which is really close. Uh, um, you know, there's uh, Norfolk has all kinds of bars. They have uh, a music scene. The Norva's down there. You have uh, Virginia Beach, which is 30, probably 30, 45 minutes away, depending on traffic that day. Um, I mean, there's a ton to do out here. And, you know, just where the fort is, uh, we're within a 30 mile radius of the, of the fort. You've probably got a couple million people uh, that are, you know, spread out mostly because military, so much military presence here. Um, that uh, you're either running into military members or ex-military or people that work for the military at one point um because you've you know you've got fort uses you've got langley you've got yorktown you've got uh nob norfolk which is the biggest navy base in the world you've got uh um a few army bases that are that are uh i think there's another uh, army base down in virginia beach 
you have the CIA base that's further up in toward Williamsburg area. Um, uh, Cheetah Manax, which is another Navy base that's uh, up towards that way as well. And so there's a ton of military presence in the area. Um, and uh, and also it's a main shipping port out of Portsmouth here. So um, there is no lack of things to do out here. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bush Gardens, I forgot about that too. Bush Gardens, a uh, big theme park out here as well. So yeah all right so i got a i got a small personal question to ask you now yes sir. i was looking on i was looking on your website um and i'm i'm from uh the iowa illinois border okay and your website says that you're a huge cubs fan i am yes <laughs> so how does someone way out on the east coast get to be a cubs fan so my family is from chicago and that's where all i was right. born so uh my siblings and i were all born in chicago um our grandfather um was a cubs fan and uh that's how we all became cubs fans but you know i grew up i have an accent obviously i grew up in east tennessee but you know we lived in illinois when i was growing up for maybe six years and then i grew up the rest of my life in east tennessee and and uh so it is a bit odd and awkward, but we've been, you know, we've been Cubs fans through and through our whole lives. And, you know, when, when we went to the series in, in uh, 2016 and won it, I was one of the few Cubs fans that I knew that had baby pictures of saying, <laughs> like, look at me. And, <laughs> you know, my brothers and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, you know, we kind of challenged a lot of our friends who were Cubs fans to, you know, post your pictures of when you were kids and you were wearing Cubs, Cubs gear. <laughs> so uh but yeah man we're uh i'm a i'm i love the cubs and uh really we sat here and watched the watched the series uh watched them win from from the tap room it was our first year open so it was really really cool experience but um yeah i'm i'm a i'm a big cubs fan but that came from my grandfather and and my whole family that kind of lives up there so nice I don't have any other questions for you. Is there anything that you want to let people know about Uzel Finch or Nos that maybe I didn't hit on? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think, uh, I think that might, might do it. I, the only other thing I think that's kind of new for us is um, we've, uh, we've really got into this. Uh, we started making these hard sodas. Did you read about these or no? Uh, uh, I think they were there when I was in the. Oh, they were there. I was in okay. there in uh, July. So yeah, I think they were there. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, they were definitely here. Oh gosh, we started doing these hard sodas, and um, and they just kind of have have blown up on us. And so, uh, we, um, we have uh, it's the first time we've ever made something where we're like, okay, this is going to be an everyday offering, and we're going to make it a course so we can sell it to distro a little easier, and and folks know what to expect. Um. But they're seven and a half percent sodas, and uh, you know they are. Um, we have orange grape, cream soda, and a Mountain Dew flavor. But the Mountain Dew one we're probably going to pull and replace with something else, uh, just because it it's a uh, it's a little bit harder to um, tell people what's in that in that can without uh, getting in trouble. So um, the marketing for that has has been awkward and hard. But uh, sure. Um, but yeah, these sodas, uh, it was kind of unexpectedly, um, took off and, uh, and we've been doing crazy well with them. And so, uh, I think if you're, if you're coming here to the brewery, we have a ton of other options, but if you're seeing us out in town, uh, or outside the state of Virginia specifically, it's probably going to be a lot of the, a lot of these sodas, but they're, uh, they're absolutely phenomenal. They're made to mimic 
the sodas that we drank when we were kids. There's no fluff or extra sweetness or anything added to it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a soda with a, with seven and a half percent alcohol in it. Um, and you can't tell that there's alcohol in it. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's been, uh, yeah. it's been a good thing for us. Um, and, uh, honestly, um, we're, we're excited about them. So, uh, but for the, you know, for us, for the first time in our entire existence, we've, uh, uh, we're finally creating something that is a little bit more consistent of an offering and something that I think, uh, um, you know, we do, we're doing really well. So nice. Well, like I said, that was, that was it. So, um, yeah. I want to thank you for your time and telling us about yeah, Boozle Finch. I love hearing about all that history. That's I'm another history buff. So Heck yeah, <laughs> that's great to hear. All right. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Beth. If you enjoy Thirsty to Explore, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service and rate and comment if you're able. This is a great way to stay up to date when new episodes drop and to help other people learn about it as well. The Thirsty to Explore podcast is part of Brewerism.com, where you can go and search a database of over 11,000 breweries worldwide to help you find your next brewery destination with information submitted by users who have visited before you to help you plan your visit. I'd like to again thank Russell from Oozle Finch for talking with me. Thirsty to Explore is hosted, written, and produced by me, Andy Erickson. If you have any questions, please email me at podcast at thirstytoexplore.com or visit thirstytoexplore.com for more information about the podcast and links to our social media accounts as well as links to brewerism. Until the next episode, please remember to travel frequently, drink responsibly, and love generously. Thank you for spending time with me.